0: Good morning. Good to see you. We are in Isaiah chapter 9. If you would grab your Bible and turn there with me today, I'd appreciate that. Isaiah chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you, and you can grab onto one of those, okay? Isaiah chapter 9. We are continuing in our theme this year, our our Christmas series uh, called He Will Be Named. And uh, I want to recap a little bit of that. We, We started the first week um, saying he will be named willing. And we saw in our text that there was this, this dark, gloomy, despairing uh, Israel that we, we saw show up in, in the end of chapter 8 of Isaiah. And, and then in verse 1, the first word of verse 1 of chapter 9, it said, Nevertheless. So even though there was this dark gloominess, even though the, that things looked horrible, God said, Nevertheless. And, and what we're, we inferred from that is that he raised his hand and said, I, I'm willing. I am willing to be the light that you need. I'm willing to be the Savior you need. I'm willing to be the rescue that you need. And, and that was, that started off our season of, of understanding that Christ Jesus was willing, that he would be named willing. He'd be called upon to to do what we couldn't do. And uh, that set the stage for the rest of the time together. And then last last week, we got to hear from Professor Meyer from Shasta Bible College. And he, he talked about the, his name being called Emmanuel, right? God with us. And he presented uh, Lots of evidence and just providential, the work of God in, in, in providence throughout all of time and history, organizing and orchestrating that Jesus could be our reigning King of Kings and Prince of Peace. And, uh, and he showed us through that through Matthew chapter 1, and uh, what a great presentation that was and great time to hear from the Word that morning. So we have a willing Jesus and then, then an Emmanuel, a God with us that came through time in just the right time and place to be with us. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus as being named the light of the world, and how important that is to, to us. And to understand during this Advent season, during Christmas, we think about baby Jesus in a manger. But, and it's more than just baby Jesus in a manger. It's why did Jesus have to be a baby in a manger? What was he doing that for? Who was he doing that for? And the answer is for you and for me. So to, to increase, my, my goal has been throughout this series to increase our awe and our wonder in Jesus and what he came for, that we would see him in a new light and, and see him more clearly for who he is, and that you and I would not be so, so polluted or so uh, just distracted by the world around us during this Christmas season. We tend to focus on buying way too much stuff, don't we? Have way too many parties, way too much food, and Jesus is really the one that's at the center of all of that, and that if we would, if we would focus on Jesus, our hearts would be full. So we are in Isaiah 9, I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 1 through 6, and then I'm going to go to Matthew, and it's in your notes, if you look at the uh, bulletin insert, uh, the sermon notes, you'll see all the scriptures that I'm referencing and and, uh, talking about today, but the first three, Isaiah 9, 1 through 6, then Matthew 4, 12 uh, through 17, and then John 8, 12, kind of set up the stage for for our Jesus being the light of the world, okay? So I want us to go there. Let's pray first, and then we'll dive right into the Word, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time you've given us to to worship you, to bring glory to you. God our soul magnifies you. We want to lift you up and we want to make this all about you. And we thank you so much for thinking of us. For coming to this world God in human flesh. Taking on a nature that was not your own so that we could have a nature that is not our own as we're found in Christ. We ask that your grace and your mercy would be present today. We'd feel that and, and know that our, our hearts can be full of hope and peace in you. And God, we ask that your spirit would open our hearts and minds to your scriptures today, to the word, that you would challenge us and change us, draw us closer to you, that you would lead us to a place of repentance and, and a passionate obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're in Isaiah chapter 9. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 6. Nevertheless, there's a the nevertheless. There's this gloom and darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that in the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor by the way of the sea to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and, and increased its joy the people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at time of harvest, and they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod upon their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Go ahead and flip over to Matthew. Let's continue. Matthew chapter 4. Interestingly enough, as I was studying this passage and and, uh, preparing and reading commentaries, and and I get that there are different points of view on different texts, and I like to present those as I I can to you so that you and I are well informed. But there was a, a portion of this where, and I get that during this time we have to understand contextually, that when, when Isaiah prophesied this to the Israelites, they were in this dispersion. They were in this place of, of, of kind of abandonment, abandonment and punishment and discipline from God. And the Assyrians were, were the ones lording it over on them. And, and they wanted this freedom. They wanted this promise. They wanted things to be better. And certainly that happened. But when Isaiah prophesied this, I do not believe that we can say that this prophecy in Isaiah is about a coming king in that day that would rule and make things better. And then eventually he would die and some other king would, would rise up. And there was a commentary I read that, that, especially as you get into verse 6, it says, and he will be named, right? And I want you to think about this. This commentator came from this viewpoint that this was a physical human being who took the throne. And then he said, in this person's name, or says, he will be named, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace. And I just threw the book aside. I said, I can't do this anymore, right? That, that, this is not a text about a human being, Amen. This is a text about Almighty God, not some studious person that takes on attributes that may reflect some types of of God's qualities. This is about Almighty God. And surely there was definitely uh, relief, relief from the oppression of the Assyrians that came their way, but not relief like what we're talking about today. That relief was a hope that they would hold on to and they would have one day. And it's a hope still you and I are looking forward to when Christ returns, amen? And the hope that we have in spending eternity with him. That is what we're talking about today. And, and then I, it made it clear for me as I looked at the, the book of Matthew. Because Matthew's gospel starts presenting Jesus and his ministry. And it, it kind of sets up this. And it, it quotes, it, Matthew's gospel quotes this passage in Isaiah. So we're in Matthew 4. And we are looking at verses 12 through 17. It says, when he heard that John, when he, that's Jesus, had heard that John, that's John the baptizer, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth behind and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. That sounds familiar, right? This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and, and of Naphtali, along the sea, uh, the sea road, beyond the Jordan, Galilee to the Gentiles, or of the Gentiles, uh, the people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the shadowed shadow land of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, this is totally about Jesus. Totally about Jesus entering our world and Jesus being the light of the world, shining this light, this dawn, that we would see clearly who he is, that he would be a rescue for us, and that he's preaching repent and believe, right? Because the kingdom of heaven is near, has come near. He's saying, listen, this is a time for you to see the Savior as the light and to come and believe in the Savior in faith and have life have eternal life. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then let's go to John. The book of John, chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. A lot of good page flipping going on out there. A lot of thumbs. You not know, hear that? That wrestling? Russell, wrestling. Wrestling? Both. Wrestling and wrestling. That's right. John, chapter 8. So we see this promise. Let's see. That we'll, now watch the progression, please. Okay, watch the progression. We have we have the progression of there's darkness and gloom. Nevertheless, Jesus is willing. And he comes in to be the dawning light, right? And we see that, that he's the dawning light, and it's not just a light that might be relief from the Assyrians. It's a hope, an eternal hope that we see uh, prophesied or, or recorded in Matthew about the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. And then Jesus himself later on in John chapter 8 and verse 12 says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is that light. So today, our our theme, our series, right, is he will be named the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And as we take a a deeper look, a more close look at at what that means for us, I hope that your heart is ready to understand the depths of your heart and maybe see the recesses of of the darkness that may still be there, maybe some things that you're holding on to that you want to grab and cling to, that you should not be clinging to, because Jesus is the light of the world, all right? So, number one, we want to talk about Jesus as the light of the world. The light of the world, number one, exposes the darkness. The light of the world exposes the darkness. Look at verse two. In back, we're back in Isaiah nine, right? You should have kept your ribbon there, your finger in that spot. Yeah, okay. Uh Isaiah chapter nine, verse two. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and light, a light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So there's this light that's coming into the world, and, and we need to understand this a, a little more deeply. Now, I told you a story a couple weeks ago when I first mentioned this. I talked about how hard it is to be in the dark. You guys remember the story I told, right? There are two, actually, right? One about bears, and, uh, and, and I, I so appreciate all of your support and encouragement. After, after a sermon, you know, I, you know I want, this is the Word of God, it's empowerful, empowering to our, in our heart, it's convicting and convincing us to move towards obedience, and then we get, I get lots of nightlight suggestions and, and lots of bear spray, you know, so i like, okay, it sounds good, I'm equipped, and that is good, it's very helpful, and we do have a nightlight now that I can see a little better. But well, I told you the story of uh, being in the dark and my son waking up crying, and I, as I approached his bed, went to his bed, you know, it was dark, and I wasn't really stumbling on anything because we could clear that space, so, so we wouldn't do that. But I get over there to try to blow his nose. He's saying boogers, 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 and I remember I poked his eye as I had this. This I'm like, oh, I can't see you. Where are you? And he's wiggling a little bit, and I talked about how I got booger slimed, right? That I didn't really realize it, but he had because he had reached up and grabbed onto me, and it was just all over me. And I would have. Man, I really wish I would have seen the light. Turn on the light so I could see what's going on here and see what's happening. But I want us to understand, like, light is helpful, and we think, oh yeah, of course, light is helpful. I I did a. a kind of an object lesson with some teenagers one time uh in fact at the holst house and we had a hallway and i, t- I taped the 20 dollars bill on the wall of the hallway and i challenged it. i said it dark it was dark lights are off go down just grab it go down you, if you get that 20 dollars bill you can have it you can have it nope nope couldn't find it couldn't find it couldn't find it and then and they were amazed we went down the hallway we turned the light on like oh, what it's right there i couldn't ever you know, you could never get it sorry so i bought pizza or something for them instead right but the, the light, it's so nice to, to see. You can turn a light on and you can see something. But there's two types of, of light going on here. I want us to understand this as well, because it happens in our heart the same way. There, there's the first part. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Thank you. Somebody turned on the light. But see, this, this darkness before the light was a place that people, people still live today. They live welled up in their darkness of their sin and their grief and their shame and their sorrow and their pain and their baggage, and they just live there. And they they live in a darkness place that kind of surrounds them, that's similar, so they don't feel like there's anything different. They just hurt. And they grieve, and they don't understand, what's the difference here? And when a light is flipped on, it's like, oh, well, now I can see. Now I I can see that I have a choice, and I I need to do something about this. But it goes even further than that. It says, the next part of that, a light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So we, we live in that darkness. We see that darkness. And listen, your heart and my heart is full of that darkness. We have a problem inside, don't we? And when we're, when we're really, really exposed is when we can start to make a change. It's not just about seeing in the dark. It's about letting the light show you what's in the dark. Amen? When I go out, I, I do. When I, I want to see if there's a bear out there. When I shine a light, it is really, really revealing of what's really out there. It's so helpful to, to see and illuminate and expose what is in the darkness. So when Christ comes, when Christ says, I'm willing, what he says is, I'm willing to be the light of the world that will expose you for who you really are, and will expose me for who I really am. We're going we're to be face to face with him, and we're not going to be able to hide those things. But see, there's, there's a, a healing that starts to happen when we expose that darkness, because we understand, God, there's something wrong, and now I've got to do something different. There's got to be a different answer in my life. So you and I have this, this search going on in, from our heart to get out of the darkness. And we see this light and our eyes are on him and there's, there's a hint of peace there. There's a hint of hope there. I want that. See, the, the light exposes the darkness. And in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79, it says this. Because of our God's merciful compassion. Now understand, when he turns on that light, when he shines himself who he really is into the darkness of who we really are that's uncomfortable and it feels sometimes like going to the principal's office it feels sometimes like like daddy found out what happened right and we're in trouble now but but understand the motive behind it because of God's merciful compassion on us right merciful compassion the dawn from on high will visit us because he's merciful and compassionate to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, for this purpose, to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. See, that's the purpose of light exposing the darkness. Is that Jesus, the light, would actually be able to, to convict our hearts and let us know that we need something more than we could ever know. We are those who live in darkness into the shadow of death. Right? We're, we're, we're bound to that. We, we know that we're separated from God. And God says, I'm here to shine light, and to guide your feet into the way of peace. Let's get you out of that darkness. Let's deal with that darkness. And I'll give you something about peace. Being exposed by the light of the world, Jesus, being exposed by the light of the world, it helps us understand how deeply dark our hearts are, how, deep, how deeply the need is inside of our hearts. And it reveals that separation that we deserve All the while showing us the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ. Amen? He exposes darkness and he reaches, listen, he exposes darkness and he reaches out his hand to grab you and to help you out of it. He is a God who's there to bring you into peace, a peaceful relationship with him. And and so he exposes the darkness. So not only does he expose the darkness, it leads us to the next point. It's kind of a progression. Once he exposes that darkness, and if if we decide, I I want that hand, I can see that hand, I'm going to reach for that hand, then what he does, number two, the light of the world increases our joy. Increases our joy. Because we know that there's hope on the horizon. It doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. It doesn't mean you're totally fixed now. It doesn't mean you're ready to go and you don't need Jesus anymore. It means that you understand the depth of your heart and the separation between you and God, And you have seen a light that is the peace that brings joy. Now you don't have to do it on your own. Isn't that great? Now you don't have to to judge all your actions and say, did I measure up? Now you can rest in Him. And He gives joy. Look at verse 3 of of chapter 9. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. Listen, because of him and his faithfulness to us, he puts a new song in our heart, a hymn of praise to him. Amen? It's a, it's a joy that we have. And if you don't have joy, I want to tell you this. If you don't have joy, you have to stop holding on to the darkness because that's what's robbing you of your joy. You're holding on to the darkness, and it comes in the form of two, well, two basic ways. I'm sure there's more. There's two ways I want to, I want to mention today it's, it's both pride. One is an out, outward pride. Listen, I've got it all together. I'll figure it out. I'm on the right road. It's not as hard as, I, as you say it is. I'll, I'll get it nailed down. I, I'm good enough to take care of it. That's pride. That's wicked, wicked pride that is holding on to a darkness and will never really understand the full joy of Jesus Christ. The other side of that, the flip coin of, of wicked, full-on, I'm good enough pride, is shameful pride. The pride that says, because I'm so bad, because I'm so bad, and I don't want to look so bad, I'm just going to pretend it's not really there, and I am better than you think I am. I'll just walk around looking better than you think I am, and presenting myself as better than you think I am. And see, that's not truth, is it? But it's still pride. You're ashamed of the darkness. You're ashamed of the darkness. You're ashamed of your choices. You're ashamed of your baggage. You're ashamed of whatever you, you think is that sin that was keeping you from God and part of it is because i don't want to maybe give it up and the other part of it is i i know i can give it up but i I don't know how to give it up i don't know how to give it up to god i don't know how to release this into his hands i'm still holding on to this because i don't want to dare be vulnerable with god and i certainly don't want to dare be vulnerable with any of god's people it's our responsibility God is humbling us, and it's our responsibility to to empty ourselves and be humble and be be vulnerable in front of each other, in front of God, and not hold on to that pride and that shame, to not hold on to the darkness. That's not what God wants us to do. Turn to Isaiah chapter 42. Keep your finger here. Isaiah chapter 42. Same book, right? A little ways behind this. 42. 42. This is, this is what our God is going to do. This is the, the joy we can get from, from knowing Jesus, from trusting Jesus, from believing in Jesus, from, from grabbing his hand as it reaches out to you. Chapter 42, verses 16 and 17. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them, and I will not forsake them. Sound helpful? Sound, sound joyous? Sound freeing? That's what God is ready to do. And, and, and for you and I who have been exposed by the light, when, when the darkness has, has been, here it is, this is all what you see. It's, it's dark and deep. It's right there. And we, then we either hold on to that darkness and say, well, it's, it's mine, I'll deal with it. Or we say, I, I need Jesus. I need, I need help. I need a joy and peace that that knowing that he will guide me, he'll direct me, he'll make those rough patches level again. If we cling to that, we're going to have joy. If we don't cling to that and cling to the darkness, we are not going to have the joy that he wants to give. And here's what it says in verse 17. They will be turned back and utterly ashamed, those who trust in idols, and say to metal-plated images, you are our gods. You know, when we lived in darkness, there was no, no ashamed, being ashamed of all the idols we had. It's just, well, that's how we lived. I, I am not surprised ever at a person who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and has, doesn't have a redeeming relationship with him. I am never surprised by the sin in their life and the idols they have. It doesn't surprise me. Why would that surprise me? Darkness loves the dark. Sin, sin reigns in the dark. And when, when people are just living in darkness, they do whatever darkness makes sense to do. It doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is those who have seen the light of Christ and been exposed and what he's saying is, is you are going to be ashamed. There's, no, there's not going to be any hope that you're going to grab onto. The joy, you've tasted the joy, you've seen this joy. It's right here for you to grab onto. And, and you're turning back to the darkness. It will never, ever be the same darkness it was. You'll always be exposed and, and shameful and guilty. And that's what he's revealing. He says there's a better way. I will lead the blind by a way they didn't know. I will guide them in the past that they have not known. I will turn the darkness into light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them, and I will not forsake them. Jesus wants us to know his peace and experience the joy of the level ground that he's in to place in front of us. It doesn't mean life's going to be without struggle. It means that he is going to struggle through life with us. And when we're holding our daddy's hand, it makes everything better, doesn't it? I want you to think back to the time when you were a child. Maybe you don't even remember that far back. I don't know. I barely do. But think, think about the security you felt. And maybe you didn't have a great home life, but there was an aunt or an uncle or a mom or dad or a grandparent, someone where you could snuggle in and you could find protection and you could find comfort and you felt, you felt value there and you felt safe. And then when, you, when your mom or dad grabbed your hand, I, you know, there's those times, and I know it, I'm starting to experience that, where my daughter, no, I don't want to hold your hand. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Okay, okay. And we do that to God too. But those times she really needs me and I'm standing right next to her, what does she do? She latches on like crazy. She's ready to go. Or when she's scared, she'll jump up in my arms. See, that's what God wants us to do. So I'll lead you. I'll take care of you. I'll guide you. Yes, it's rough in front of you. Let me walk you across it. Let me help you through this time. And see, that light is, is shining in the darkness and exposing it. And then it drives us to this joy and this hope in our daddy's arms, doesn't it? That we can be free and experience this joy because of him. Well, that leads us to the next phase of this. And what the light does. So we have, we have this, this darkness that's exposed. And We have this joy that's, that's there on the horizon that, that's ready and God's ready to hey, take my hand. I'm ready to go with you. But then there's some struggle. So number three, the light of the world removes an oppressive yoke. The light of the world, Jesus, his desire is to remove an oppressive yoke. Let's look at verse 4 of chapter 9. It says, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. So darkness is exposed, and then there's this hint of joy that's dawning for us, and we have this guide, but there's still a battle within, isn't there? There's still a war that rages within us, this war that wants to go back to the flesh, and, and God says, no, I, I put my spirit in you, and this flesh and this spirit is at war with itself. I want you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 7, we're going, to, we're going to look at this, um, this the passage and I, I encourage you to study it in more depth uh, and, don't, and don't try to make it overwhelming to you. I, I'm going to make it overwhelming enough to you in a minute. Because I want us to understand the overwhelmingness of the battle that rages inside of us. Even though the light has been exposing the darkness, even though we can grab onto joy of knowing Jesus is right there with his hand outstretched to us, there is a battle. There's a battle for, for us to, to say yes or no or to to say, I want something different, and it wages within. So Romans 7, 18 to 25a, we're going to read 18 to 24. Paul, Paul is writing this, and he's trying to write this battle of the flesh and try to, uh, try to help us understand the contradiction within, within his spirit, with inside of him, which is really, really difficult to understand. And, and it's okay, as you, as you and I read this, it's okay if you're like, huh, what, what did he say? I don't, I don't get it. I'll try to sum up in a minute, okay? So starting in verse 18, Paul says, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the the desire to do what is good is within me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do good, evil evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Then he says in verse 24, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this dying body? Now see, that is dark, right? That that, That is that battle that wages. And it's a battle you and I face all the time. This battle between obeying God and His Spirit and, and obeying and wanting to, to give into the flesh. It's a battle that we face all the time. So not only have we seen the light, it's exposed to darkness. We've seen the light. God's offering His hand and saying, there's hope and there's joy in me. I will, t- I will help you with this. Then we have this battle that starts to wage. Do I really want nah, 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 I don't know. We're battling. And we say, well, I'm not really good enough. I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm still bad. But what does it say? What's, it, what's Paul say? He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this dying body? In verse 25 he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen to that, right? There is a battle that is being waged and there is a battle that can be won by Jesus Christ. So understand that Jesus wants to to come in and win that battle. He wants to remove that yoke of that sin burden off of you and I. He wants to free us like we've never experienced freedom before. This picture of spiritual warfare, this, this picture of the battle that wages inside of us, it will weary the most optimistic person. It will weary you. And apart from Christ, this is what we face. We face darkness, we face heaviness, we face weariness and despair. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then we make excuses, though, don't we? Even though we say there's this battle waging, and I can say, thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, who has the victory, he will win the war, I still say, but, but God, I, I'm flesh and blood, and it hurts, and I bleed, and I, I feel things deeply. He knows, he knows. But see, we've, we've tasted this joy, and what we're saying is, I've tasted this joy of God's divinity and God's, God's rescue to us, but I'm going to hold on and clinch this burden of despair and sin. I'm going to clinch onto this and, and hang on to it. God says, that's not what I wanted you to do. I understand your flesh and blood. I understand that, that you may, may think I don't get it, is what he's saying. But I want but to, to show you something here. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, about the middle of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 2. So we say I'm flesh and blood and it hurts and I wanna, I'm going to hang on to this burden because God you obviously don't understand this. So Hebrews chapter 2 beginning in verse 14 and looking at verses 14 and 15 together he says now since the children have flesh and blood in common what it's saying is that because you and I God's children are flesh and blood we're people we're human beings we have that in common right we have that in common Jesus also shared in these things doesn't say he had that in common, but he shared in those things. He adopted what you and I have in common. He put on what? Flesh and blood. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Isn't that what what we're talking about holding on to, is this fear of death? This fear of of letting go of sin, this fear of being exposed. Well, Jesus decided, I'm going to come and become flesh, so I can die for you. Now I want you to see the wonder and amazement here in the Advent Christ. I want you to wonder in this. Not like I wonder, but wow, how wonderful is this. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Christ willingly took hold of something that wasn't naturally his. He became flesh. And he willingly added to himself our nature so that he could die in our place for you and for me. And because dying in our place meant destroying the hold that this burden had, the yoke this burden had, it meant destroying the hold of Satan and sin and death. He made a way for us to take hold then of a nature that did not belong to us. A nature that was his. And see, that's where we, we have this argument. Like, I, I'm flesh and blood, it's hard, it hurts. Yeah, he knows. He gets it. Hebrews goes on to say in chapter 4 that he was tempted in every way, just as you and I have been, yet was without sin. Therefore, we can approach the throne of grace with fear? No. With, with shame? No. With Confidence and receive mercy in our hour of need, in our time of need. God is a merciful and compassionate God who draws us to himself because he is the only answer for the problem that we have. And yes, we are flesh and blood, but guess what? Jesus became flesh and blood for you. And he became flesh and blood for me that he could take my place on a cross where I deserved to be crucified, where I deserved to be punished, where I would, where I would have to go because I would hold on, to the yoke of slavery and darkness and sin. But Jesus said, I'm here to free you from that. I'll take care of that. So you can be free from that power that is the devil and free those of us, you and I, who were held in slavery all our lives to the fear of death. He removed the burden. Amen? The wonder of Christ being named the light of the world is seen in the truth of our freedom from the fear and certainty of separation from God. We're free from that now. We have been set free from sin and set free from death and set free from Satan and set free from fear. That's what Jesus did for us. Allow Him to let you be free. Allow Him to set you free. And as you do, Number four happens. The light of the world increases our faith and our hope. The light of the world increases our faith and our hope. Back to Isaiah, chapter nine. I get my ribbon there. There it is, perfect. Right? Yeah, a lot of little pieces of paper. Right. Four and five. It says you have shattered the oppressive yoke and the rod of the, on their shoulders. And the staff of their oppressor, just as, you, just as you did on the day of Midian, for the trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. I want to give you a little background here. He, he mentions, and this is the important part, talking about our faith, he mentions the day of Midian. It, it, and if you want to read that background later on, you can go to the book of Judges and read chapters 6, 7, and 8 uh, to get a, a more extensive. You can read all of Judges. It really gives you this history of the cycle of Israel that just kind of cuckoo. It's kind of similar to what we do. Uh, but what happened is, is there, Israel was a mess. Israel was sinning again. Israel was, was just disobedient to God. And God decided, well, I'm, I'm going to hand you over to the Midianites and, and, and other ites, right, to be kind of conquered and lorded over. And you're going to be disciplined during that time. And he said for about seven years. And then at some point, God, God was ready and he was ready to, to deliver it, uh, Israel. And as he was ready, he, he called Gideon to do that. We see, that's where we see the story of Gideon in the Bible. And Gideon's like, I'm not, I'm nothing big. I can't, I'm no hotshot, I'm the, I'm the youngest kid, I'm the scrawniest, I don't, I'm not good at this, I don't have many degrees and anything, I just, why me? And he, he tested God, he tested God, it was really me, are you really wanting me to do this? And God continued to say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So he rallied the troops, and assembled his army, and he came before God, and God's like, that's, that's too many people. That's too many people, you have to, and, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of, of soldiers they'll have to face in battle. And he, and he gets behind them some, like, 25,000 maybe people Soldiers around, and, and he said, "That's too many. You need it. You need to get rid of some of those guys." And, and when he ta- points back to the day of Midian, what, what God is pointing back to, from Isaiah, and connecting the dots to us for us, is this: that God is the one that's going to do the work, right? God is the one who's going to have the victory. Amen. And and I want you to I want you to hear this scripture: Judges chapter seven, verse two. You don't have to turn there, but here is what the Lord said: The Lord said to Gideon when he when he brought his army to him, he said, "Here I am. I'm ready to go." The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you. Or else Israel Israel might brag and say, I did it myself. We did it. We accomplished it. And see, that is the opposite of what God is trying to do in us. God is trying to help you understand and to help me understand that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Nothing. That is the Christmas promise. That Christ came down to us while we were unable to go to Him and reach Him. That Christ came to us and did what we could not do for our benefit on our behalf. Our faith, listen, our faith comes from God and is in God. And as we have that faith that He has removed, that yoke, that, that burden from our shoulders, our, our faith should increase, our trust and hope should increase in ourselves. No, in God, because He did it, He accomplished it, and He continues to remind us to remember what He has done. You and I being here, you and I being free from this burden of sin has nothing to do with you and I, and everything to do with an almighty, everlasting God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful counselor, right? He's the one that's going to to do the work in us. The faith that he increases in us will just bolster our strength in him. And the hope he gives us is not a hope in our own ability, but a hope in him. This faith is not in ourself. We can't have a faith in ourself. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, you are so good to us, and so often we. We turn our backs on you or we we hold on to the burdens of sin in our life that you have exposed and reached your hand out towards and have told us that you would remove through your death and resurrection. God, let us be vulnerable. Let us set aside the, the pride of our life, the shame in our life, that we might embrace Christ, that you would increase our faith, and you would give us a hope to endure. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close our service, this is our opportunity to respond to what God is doing in your heart. For many of us, or most of us, that means just,